Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we talk about popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm just upset that Marky Mark isn't in this film, so he can call Jack Raynor Lucky Charms. I hate Transformers 4. I mean, I'm out. <laughs> and let me just consult the tableau that will predict the rest of the podcast. Uh, looks like I'm mm-hmm. Britain. <laughs> now, guys, we are gathered here today to get to this thing called life and to God, get to this thing called 2020. Am I right? Um, happy Thanksgiving to all our listeners. We know it's a different kind of year. We're doing something a little different. Uh, we're doing a little Thanksgiving episode, kind of like last year. Uh, mm-hmm. Isn't that right, guys? Aren't are, are you guys looking forward to the Thanksgiving holiday? Yeah, and I'm, I'm just reminiscing on on last year's events where we watched just the ultimate, you know, heartwarming. Just really, it, it the movie we did really brought the family together. That's I true. Feel. That's true. And, um, and it's really about um, sort of the the peaceful. Um, Unison of uh, various cultures that mm-hmm. uh, the country we live in, the United States, is founded on. It is. Um, uh, it is about people coming together to share a meal. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> for those of you who don't recall, last Thanksgiving we did watch Bone Tomahawk. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you put enough emphasis on that, Tyler. Would you like to say Bone Tomahawk? For Bone us? Tomahawk. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Britain, continue. And uh, this year we 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 found a similarly cozy. This is just a real cardigan of a movie. <laughs> um, and Tyler, what movie in a way is that? What are we using to celebrate togetherness this year? I'm I'm really. I'm really uh, conflicted right now because I don't know whether I should say Midsummer or if I should say Midsummer. <laughs> I think I, I think the combo was the answer. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave I'll leave up to the listener. We'll we'll put a poll on <laughs> the podcast to see which they prefer, um, and that will become our new podcast theme. It's okay, Tyler. Um, no matter what they vote, the other half will claim it's rigged. So. Fake. Oh, oh, oh no! Oh, we got to start the pot. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Now Alex- 2020. Am I right? How topical. Well, now that Alex has got me thinking about Great British Bake Off, let's get into the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, Midsummer, <laughs> directed by Ari Aster from 2019, it has an 83% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 63% audience score. And those are both scores for the theatrical cut of the movie. We did not watch the director's cut for this. Yes. So, also, uh, three and a half stars on Amazon Prime Prime Video. I think this is a this is a movie that I, this is a very interesting one to me. I remember I, I, someone, a critic or something, said that this might be a more audience accessible movie, which I completely see how you would see that compared to hereditary on the Mm. other hand i feel like this is far more polarizing just to the people that i've talked to about it sure um i know i know folks who don't like either movie who just the style just doesn't work for them which i totally get but i remember i talked to somebody once who uh we were talking about movies and they said yeah you know a friend of mine and i we go to we we go to movies every Friday and we we see everything, even really crappy movies. Like we saw that Midsummer. Did you see that movie? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I love Midsummer. I think it was one of my top ten movies from from 2019. And she was shocked, like, and not just in the sense that we disagreed on whether or not we liked it. Yeah. She was literally like, 
oh, I, but in her mind, this was a bad film, like a right. like a poorly right. made, you know, bad horror movie. And I was like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to continue this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I can like, certainly I explain like why I liked it, but like I don't know how, how to do. This. How do you reconcile these perspectives? It, it's such a it, it's a movie that I think people had very. I don't think a lot of people went into this movie being like, oh, hereditary, sure. I think people were like, horror movie, let's see what... Mm-hmm. She's crying on the front of it? That's weird. But all those flowers. Well, well I think that's kind of a, a more recent trend that I've seen with a lot of films that are either not marketed correctly or they're just kind of stuck with the label of horror film and sure. that completely throws audience expectations versus like your paranormal activity or your Annabelle or, or you know, something yeah. a little more straightforward. Um, or even, I, remember I mean, there, there, I mean, there, I remember there being like a huge thing when, uh, it comes at night came out. Yeah. 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 Um, cause apparently that's just like a slow moving, depressing film and it's not so much a horror film. And a lot of people were just like, nothing came at night. Like what, what, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think even if you want to do like a less, cynical like even looking past you know the last five years trends in like popular horror movies i mean even slasher movies like there's a lot of movies that have come out recently that are very different from movies horror movies you would have watched in the the 80s or 90s absolutely um yeah i mean like i know robert eggers the witch or the the the, the vavitch had a similar reaction where people people were just like what that wasn't what was it's just because you know Directors are making movies a certain way that are hard. It's hard to capture what these movies are in a trailer, and so it's hard to market them really right. accurately. And yeah, you know, people go in with all different kinds of, of expectations. Um, but that said, uh, who wants to go first with best and worst about Midsommar? Ooh. Um, I can go first. Cool, Alex. A little mini standoff there. I feel like. Oh, <laughs> um, I think. Ultimately, I probably liked this the least of the three of us. That's and by that, I mean it's still going to get somewhere in the A range. <laughs> um, Did you both give Hereditary... I don't remember what any of us gave Hereditary, actually. I'm sure I did A+, right? I was going to say, I feel like you both did A+, and I might have done... I'm sure I did a B somehow. Yeah, both of us did A+, as you did A-. minus. Okay. I feel good about um, that. So yeah, ultimately, like I, I really like this movie. I, you know, very minor issues with it. Um, I think my best thing is just going to be overall performances. Mm. Um, Ari Aster knows how to direct yeah. actors, um, particularly female actors. So, like Tony Collette's just like a powerhouse in Hereditary, and Florence Pugh, I would argue, is just the same. Mm-hmm. And this is even more focused on her, like virtually every scene like she is the center of it yeah um so i i I don't know i I just the performances in this kind of wow me um it's weird because i i do kind of almost think of this as a quote-unquote more cozy or maybe it's just because it's like a slower burn Mm -hmm. of a film but it, it does have that quality of just like oh i'm going and i'm just seeing these actors just kind of do things for a while yeah you know sure um, it's not super plot driven or anything. Um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, Florence Pugh's obviously very good. Um, Jack Rayner uh, making fun of him cause he's once again playing a terrible boyfriend, <laughs> just like in Transformers 4, but he's quite good in this. No. Um, 
you know, Will Poulter. Um, yes. Who I don't know if how many things I've actually seen him in. Like, I know he shows up in a bunch of stuff. Right. But what I know him from is the third Chronicles of Narnia movie. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if I've actually seen him in anything where people are like, "Oh no, he's like a really good performer." Um, he's kind of <laughs> yeah, he's kind of the evil Grant Gustin is what I got from this movie this time around. Yeah. I, like, I think okay, he's or I should say reverse Grant Gustin. <laughs> no, there you go. Very um, good. but yeah, Ari Aster knows how to direct performers. Yeah, um, and the Cheaty from the Good Places in this movie, William William Jackson Harper. Yeah, yeah I was is. just trying to double check his name. Um, he's awesome. Yeah, which is very fun. I think, you know, if I had any sort of complaint on that, it would just be some of the characters get taken out (laughs) a bit quicker than I would have liked, particularly Josh, um, William Jackson Harper's character. Um, I think he gets taken out a little early, uh, particularly if we're, you know, having your token black character die fairly fast in a horror movie is always a trope that, you know, especially nowadays, it's probably best to avoid. Yeah, he's not the but, first. I will say, at least, at no, least he's not the first, but yeah, he, he gets taken out fairly quick. Right. Um, but yeah, performances good across the board. Um, I'm not sure how many of the um, Swedish folks as as part of the ceremony. I don't know how many of them are just kind of like local actors, yeah. or you know how, how how that whole process worked of pulling them together. But all of them were really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really like that. And I don't know if uh, those actors, how many of them are like really well known in Sweden. If yeah, I'm not sure, but I liked from my experience that they were not familiar faces to me at all. So like, mm-hmm. it really was like the familiar faces I knew were going into this land of strangers, which I think adds to the kind of disconnect that we're supposed to have. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Apparently in Sweden, this movie was not considered a horror movie. It was treated as a very black comedy, and like a lot of audiences just like laughing their heads off. Because huh. <laughs> I guess they saw some of the tropes and some of the traditions, and they were like, that's so... Look at that. Hmm. Um, I, I, I think I'm, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead here, because Tyler and I have like reverse criticisms about Hereditary and, and Midsommar. So... Tyler, if it, you know, tell me if I'm if I'm stating your position incorrectly. Your you had issues with Hereditary in terms of thematically what what it was going for, and the supernatural elements feeling like those were getting in the way of the thematic or what yeah. what the movie's going for metaphorically. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. I feel that in this movie, the kind of overall breakup. Uh, through line that the movie's going with i don't feel like the cult and the whole ceremony and kind of the the backdrop meshes as well with that as i would like um whereas with hereditary i feel like the you know through line of of just kind of this this family experiencing trauma or you know psychological problems or or what what have you whatever it is just how it kind of transcends generations and that's why the supernatural stuff maybe didn't bother me as much just because all of that just kind of weaved together for me. Whereas with this, it felt like – because Ari Aster, I think he's he's quoted as saying that this is a breakup movie, <laughs> um, yeah. which I find kind of funny and talk about black comedy. <laughs> um, but I feel like it, it's not like the cult ceremony stuff is like an afterthought, but it it feels almost – 
I, I don't know. To some degree, it feels a little just disjointed for me. And maybe as we discuss it, you know, maybe maybe that won't feel like so much of a problem. But I, I mean, that's still very minor. Like not every not every film, particularly every horror film, needs to have like this grand thematic through line that sure. all the different elements sure. like interweave with that and make it like this this masterpiece of of cohesion. Like it, it doesn't have to do that. But I, just comparing it to Hereditary. That worked for me in that, whereas this one, it feels a little disjointed. So. Hmm. I know that was a lot of words, and I probably could have simplified that. Tyler? No, yeah, I was going to say, um, and I think, that, to your point about like not having to have a theme, my take, um, which I would apply a lot more strongly and more harshly to Joker, uh, as we talked about, go, go oh, check out no. that podcast. Um, it's just that if you have a movie that feels like it's trying to say something, then it's I, I find it more frustrating when I don't really get anything out of it. Yeah. Um right. and I think that's more where I stand with Hereditary is not not that like it has to have like a moral <laughs> or anything. Sure. Um just that I would have liked it to I felt like watching Hereditary, I kept like thinking I had an idea of where the movie was going, kind of what the the goal was in terms of like what audiences should take away. And I felt like that kind of kept like, almost like there would be one idea, and then it would be like, oh, I want to shift to this other idea. Um, and it felt like it did that a few times, which, again, it um, it doesn't necessarily have to stick to one thing. Like, movies can be whatever the, the creators want them to be. But um, I was frustrated because I felt like it felt like a movie that should have an ultimate, like, big emotional payoff that I never really got. Um, as opposed to this movie, where... I think actually the biggest reason it, it maybe it, I didn't run into that problem with this movie is that I, my best thing immediately found the characters so much more interesting. Mm. Um, interesting is probably a bad word because the characters are definitely interesting and hereditary as well. You found them more um, compelling. Compelling. Yes. Uh, I think immediately Florence Pugh um, grounds us uh, as, yeah. as someone who's like, okay, this is a genuinely like sweet person who is going through some really horrible things. Um, she's being treated, treated horribly by the people around her. Um, she generally seems to like have empathy and, and be trying to make better decisions for herself. Um, but is like being emotionally manipulated by her boyfriend. And obviously she, uh, has her family, um, all die very early in the movie. And so like immediately we're on this person's side and we're like, okay, She's really sympathetic. She's giving an amazing performance. Um, and like just immediately that I, I was able to so much more quickly be like, okay, <laughs> I have the character who I'm, I'm rooting for, quote unquote. Sure. Um, I have the character who I, I understand that the movie is from this character's perspective. And like, I understand everything she's going through. Whereas hereditary, I found it really, really difficult to like grab onto somebody and be like, okay, I, I at least need to know what your worldview is mm. and like where, what kind of how you're interacting with everyone else in this, in this movie. Um, and you have her in Midsommar as well as, uh, <clears throat> all the, the, um, various boys with very like <laughs> simple, uh, middle-class, uh, male names. Yeah. <laughs> Cause her, her boyfriend is Christian. Christian. Yes, Christian, Mark, and Josh are yeah. are kind of the the main three <clears throat> um, jerks, quote unquote, um, or at least maybe uh, not smart guys. 
Yeah. Um, Josh is the best, I would say. Yes. And still... But he's, he's still... He's still, like, is disrespecting the culture. Like, yeah. Uh, basically ignoring outright the kind of edicts not to, to yeah. mess with things. Um, and is also, like, not even slightly uh, affected by watching two elderly people throw themselves off a cliff and then right. get beaten to death when they don't die. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so I think... Immediately, the movie sets the stage so much more quickly in terms of who these characters are and like how the audience is supposed to feel about them and what our relationship with them is. Like, I I just found that a lot more compelling right from the the get go. Um, and I think they're they're all really fascinating. Um, it's fun to I, rooting is a weird word because like the, this is not a movie that's like <laughs> good guys and bad guys. Right. Um, it is a very human movie. Um, but it it paints such an effective picture of uh, you know where our characters are and uh, how much we emotionally get invested in their fates. I, I guess is, is a good way to put it. Um, and so I, I thought that was really good. And I was again, like Alex said, all the performances are fantastic, especially Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh. Um, and yeah, uh, I had a good time with him. Um, <clears throat> I think. <sighs> I, this is a hard one for me to pick a worse thing, I will say. I, there there wasn't a lot that, that really bothered me. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> there was a lot that bothered me, but the movie wanted it to bother me. Um, yeah. I think maybe I felt like some of the violence went a little bit over the top for me. Mm-hmm. Um Specifically, I'm thinking of uh, the, them bashing the old man's skull right. in when he lands on. Because, like, he, he, land, he jumps off the cliff in, in kind of a, an, a major, pivotal, horrifying scene in the movie where uh, we, we see that all the um, elders of this community, once they reach 72, 72 yeah. uh, jump off a cliff and then get uh, beaten to death with a, a big wooden mallet if they do not uh, survive, or if they survive jumping off the cliff. Um, and specifically, there's a guy, <clears throat> he jumps down, his legs snap in a really horrifying fashion. It's like, oh, that's really gruesome. Um, and he's still alive. And then they go and, and start hitting him. And, like, the, <laughs> maybe Harry Astor, like, studied the uh, the mechanics of the, the human skull and, <laughs> right. and how this would work. So maybe maybe it's 100% accurate, but... He, the, one of the villagers comes over and starts hitting him in the head with the the wooden mallet, um, and like it, it's almost rubbery yeah. in the way the effect is, and, and the way his his head squishes in, like it's almost like a Halloween mask. <laughs> um, and I felt like there were a few. I mean, it's really confined to that scene by and large. There's also uh, later on. There's a horrifying image of a man who's been like split into yeah, his skin's eagle. been torn into a bunch of weird ways and, and there's been a lot of gross stuff done to him yeah. um, who might still be alive because yes his lungs are pulled out and the lungs are moving yeah yeah yeah, yeah that, i think that, the implication that, that like got under my skin um and, and it's not his. it's not that like it can't you can't have shocking violence like yeah. that um and obviously we you know, talk about bone tomahawk uh right that's another movie with some some really gruesome imagery um, Happy Thanksgiving! Yeah, and and so like I'm not, I'm not necessarily against it, and I I was able to watch it without like just completely losing the contents of my stomach or anything. Sure, um, I was able to get through it, but 
uh, I mean, I, it really is just that scene. I felt yeah. like it could have been more effective if it was just like, okay, they're going to beat the guy with a mallet. It's it's over there somewhere. We don't need to like. Yeah. Well, I I, I the effects. It, I don't know. I, I wonder if it would have been more effective if they kept it to long long shots because the, like that's how when when the old folks they do jump. That's it's done with with a you know. It's a wide a shot. long take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder like if, if them going over and like killing the guy if that would have been more effective. Not only because. It does go very over the top with with the uh, makeup and prosthetics and, and the dummy, um, but also in terms of the characters watching it, they're looking at it from a distance. Yeah. So I almost feel like they should limit how much we're seeing as well, particularly because going to your point, Tyler, about how quickly our characters, some of them, get over the fact that two people just kind of met very violent yeah. ends. Um, I feel like that would almost like the audience could almost reflect on that because I, I feel like that would be... If it weren't quite as gruesome, it would be almost easy to forget that as an audience member. Yeah. Right. Well, I think it's just the 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 fact that we see the bashed-in face like three times. Yeah. Because yeah. like the, when the, when the <laughs> woman... Ari Aster's just like, man, do you know how much money we put into this? <laughs> we are showing yeah. this more than once. Well, I think when, when the, the woman jumps off, she hits the rock head first and it's still horrible yes. and gruesome and you hear something, but then you're done. The yeah. guy falls off and they show you his leg and then the face. And then you see the face again. And then you see the face like after that scene, when they're wheeling them to the pyre to burn the yeah. bodies. And yeah. it, it, it's like, you don't, I, I think bone tomahawk and hereditary both, both have very visceral scenes, but one they're at, they're at like the apex of the movie. And so you're like, you're revved yeah. up and you're like, okay, here we are. We're in the scene. And then they, we sit in that scene and we go through it. This, it felt like we kept leaving the gruesomeness and then coming back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. It, it didn't like, similarly, it didn't like, it grossed me out, but not in the sense where I was like, I can't watch this movie. But I have heard people, even people who like the movie say like, we, we, we get it. <laughs> like you keep <laughs> yeah. bringing us back to it. And like, we know, I mentioned the, the head in hereditary is kind of like that. I'm like, we know. Mm-hmm. We know. Come on, Ari. <laughs> <laughs> um, shall I do my best worst? Sure. No. Oh, beans. Oh. Well, uh, uh, that's been our time. <laughs> <laughs> um, my best thing about this movie, stand back. Here we go. My best thing is the cinematography, the directing, the just the camera overall, I think, is mm-hmm. brilliantly handled. There's a part in the movie when they are driving towards Halsingland, and they're on the road, and the camera just fully rotates, so then it looks like the road is on the top of the screen, and they're driving upside down. And this is my second time watching the movie, and I said, people this is, people are going to get so mad! <laughs> it's like, people are going to hate this! And I love it. <laughs> I thought it was so oh, it's good. Very, I feel like there's a lot of meaning. Inside. Like there, It's very... Uh, that scene in particular... Um, oh, yeah, they like are... Very much... Yeah, they're leaving the normal world. They're, yeah, sure. yeah, they're they're entering the underworld, so to speak. Yeah, like they're, completely. Yeah, and and I, it's a movie that I think is so beautifully shot. Obviously, it is very pretty, um, mm-hmm. and I love how in the in the beginning when they're in what's supposed to be New York, everything's dark and bleak and snowy, and it's very isolating. You know, uh, uh, Danny uh, Florence Pugh's character is very isolated. She has she has no external relationships outside of her boyfriend. Her, her family dies at the beginning, and then she has, 
we don't see her talking to any friends. We don't. She doesn't talk about any other friends. She's totally isolated. Everything's dark and dim, and it's just these like eh, kind of grody apartments and stuff. And then they go to this very beautiful, bright, warm place that I thought was just shot so gorgeously. But then you also have these long takes, these beautiful, gorgeous long takes where the camera will just sit on Pella as he's, Mm -hmm. you know, working in the garden. And then Josh will come over and they'll talk for a while. And then the camera will pivot. So now Pella's on the right side of the frame and Josh on the left. And then Christian will walk up and they'll talk for a while. And this is all one shot with just a camera pivot. But when it pivots so perfectly that it creates a whole new frame that is so gorgeous and well executed. And you always have things happening in the background. You've got extras walking around. And not in the way that all movies have, or many movies have extras in the background. But it feels populated and it feels active. And it feels like whatever's happening in the foreground is important. But what's happening in the background is further world building. It's further you know, deepening where we are and it's, you, you don't know what's going on. Why are they ca- walking a horse or a donkey over there? And they're just spinning around. Sometimes people are singing and it's just so gorgeously held. Mm. And I think the way that it, our Aster like handles that camera is just expert. The, the like depth of it, I think yes, helps with yes. that background stuff so much because somehow the movie achieves this effect where you're, you constantly feel like you've got the entire, ba- like it feels yeah. like, where what it would feel like if you were there, um, definitely in a way that a lot of movies don't kind of pull off. Um, sure. That just everything feels like this massive wide shot where it's like okay, you've got something happening in the middle in the foreground, yeah. But there's all the space and you've got all the mountains in the background and the forest. There's constant just yeah. wide empty clearings and the sky is extremely bright and and blue yeah. and like the entire thing just glows and it is super well lit. Um, yeah, it's really fascinating because we talked about with Hereditary how well he directs kind of the, the light and uses light um, in darkness. Yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely I think this is even more impressive in terms of just like how effective uh, he how effectively he used the brightness of yes. just daylight um, and, and to pull off yeah. the effect. And how easily that setting could become boring because it's a few buildings Mm-hmm. You know, it's this one location, but one, he finds a lot of interesting ways to shoot it, but because he pop, he makes it feel so full and so rich, it never really feels, for me, it never felt boring and never felt dry. It always felt very right. alive. And um, Roma is a movie I haven't finished, but what I saw <laughs> of it, Same. I, I was right. Re- I was really fascinated by how much information Quaron could pack into a frame without like overloading it. Um, and now seeing Astor do this, I mean, it's it's just extraordinary the way he he shoots this movie, in a very different way from how he shot Hereditary. Um, my worst thing is I don't have one. Maybe that yeah, I wanted William Jackson Harper to be in more of the movie because he's great. Sure, but um, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a movie that makes me really happy, um, which is a weird thing to say. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, there, there's stuff in it that just works on a very Britain level, just like we're going to do weird camera movements and the whole thing is mm-hmm. going to feel very haunting and the music is crazy. This is great. Um, yeah, I, I, I want let, let's talk about the deaths first, because more than hereditary, this follows a, I'll say traditional, well, yeah, kind of traditional thing of it's a horror movie. We've got our cast. 
and we start when we pick them off one by one until the end mm-hmm. of the movie. And I think it's going to be let's go ahead and kind of cover those characters and those deaths so that we don't have to keep going back and explaining them as we talk about the rest of the movie. Uh, so obviously I the... want a Will Poulter mask. <laughs> yeah, sure. so he's – I don't know if he's the first one killed, but he's the first one we know has been killed. Right. Because um, he goes and, and urinates on the sacred tree, and then I believe it's mm-hmm. Ulf. <laughs> Ulf <laughs> shows up uh, when William Jackson Harper has snuck into the temple to take pictures of the sacred book. And then I believe it's in the director's cut that it's revealed that Pella is the one that hits him on the head. He right. he knocks uh, William Jackson Harper on the head, and that and that kills him. Mark has been skinned and is later revealed to now be like a stuffed straw doll. Yep. Yeah, I still with thought... like a dunce cap or something. Yeah, like that? a gesture. Yeah, cap. yeah. I don't know if I understood entirely what had happened with Mark because, like, in in that scene, he's yeah. uh, or. I guess someone's wearing his face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the but, yeah. the guy can't. The guy who's wearing his face can't talk, um, I, I which think... confused me. Yeah, because I was like, is the implication that they've like torn his face off and sewn it back on or something? Like My... what? Because I yeah. feel like that's a very like when you when you have something like that as a trope of like oh they've done something horrible to him. Yeah, if he can't, if it's like a muffled speaking. So I wasn't entirely sure what to get from that. Only that it was not good for Mark. Um, yeah, I think that because Mark urinates on the tree, and then later there's a scene where a woman comes up at lunch, and she's like, "Hey, will you mm-hmm. come with me?" So she's leading him off to be killed, right? But then I, my theory is that Ulf wearing his face, maybe he could speak, and he was just like making those sounds to freak out William Jackson Harper or something. Oh, maybe so. You know that it wasn't literally that he couldn't, or maybe it was muffled because yeah, like it covered up his mouth or something. Um. And then when Jackson Harper gets bashed in the head, you also have these two other people who were brought to the commune by Ingemar, mm-hmm. uh, Pele's brother, and Ingemar brought Connie and Simon, who after the, uh, I think it's the Atestupa, at, at at something like that, the, the ceremony where the old people jump off the cliff, right. and... They they both freak out and they're like, "This is messed up. What are we doing? We got to get out of here." Yep. And so I guess like the the idea is, and and there's there's, there's supposed to be this ritual every nine years where they have nine sacrifices so that they can have a good harvest or whatever. And Simon, we later uh, Christian discovers him having been blood eagled, where he's all ripped up and possibly still breathing. And then Connie, I believe, I I, I think this is in the director's cut that she was drowned. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's not in the theatrical. Yeah, because I think it's something, and there's something involving a child. I don't know if they were supposed to drown a child, but then they got Connie instead. I don't know. Um, and Chris, <laughs> Christian is, many things happen to Christian. At the end, he is paralyzed by a drug, stuffed into a disemboweled bear. <laughs> and then Danny has to choose whether she'll sacrifice, as the May Queen, is she going to sacrifice well, Christian or... She, she chooses first... Um, I like to think if she'd known that he was going to be stuffed into a bear, oh, that's right, uh, that's that would have right. been more incentive, and it would have <laughs> been true. an easier decision to be like, okay, yes, <laughs> like got to do the bear. Yeah, she chooses him. He gets stuffed into a bear, and then he's he's burned alive with Ingemar and Ulf, and who are volunteer sacrifices. And it's an interesting 
I had the thought watching the movie this time. So obviously they're they're trying to get these nine sacrifices for this festival. Two of them are the old people. Two of them are volunteers. And then the other four or uh, and then the other five the other five are yes. all the outsiders. Because of Christian. Yeah. Yeah, because of Christian. Four of those you could consider two of those are also being killed as punishment with Mark and Josh. With Simon and Connie, is it just because they want to leave and they're trying to keep yes. them from leaving and, like, telling everybody about this crazy yep. cult? I and definitely so, think that's the implication. Yeah. Right. And so, and then Christian is obviously not punished by the community. He's punished by Danny. Right. But the community also sets him up to be punished in a lot of ways because, like, right. part of the whole reason she chooses him is because she sees him um, having sex with uh, Maya, the girl. I think. Maya, I think, is her name. Sure. Um <clears throat> in a uh, freaky ritual. Right. Where, <laughs> then, where he has uh, been, like, drugged and coerced, so he's aware of it, but he's not fully in control of his faculties. Right. Yeah. Right. And so she sees him, and then she's like, and that makes her have a just breakdown. Yeah. Um, and obviously the community kind of, like, they, they did tell her not to go see him, technically. Yeah. But, like, also, they're the ones who pushed him to do this, and, you know, that's the whole thing. So, um, Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and so it all made me wonder if these characters, ha- if if Josh and Mark had never hadn't done those transgressions, would the community still have killed them, or would they have? Because you know, they t- they have a line in there where they say, "Well, it's such a small community, we have to bring in outsiders sometimes." Now, Danny has obviously joined the community by the end of the movie, but like, had Connie and Simon not freaked out, had Josh not snuck into the temple, and Mark not urinated on the tree. Would would they have would it have been a similar situation to Christian where they're just like drugged and brought before whoever to decide whether they'll be sacrificed or someone random from the group, or well, were they always were they going to die no matter what? Do you know what I'm saying? Like like if they had if if they had accepted the cult <laughs> and been yeah. like, oh yeah, I, no, I we're think, real, kind of more the way Danny did. I, I think maybe we need it to be a little bit more fleshed out about what Pele thinks of all of them mm-hmm. because he very much likes Danny and yeah. he's, he, right. he's concerned for her well-being. Um, so I, I understand if he's like, yeah, I can sacrifice Josh or Christian, yeah. well, excuse me. Like I, I can make this work. So I, I wonder if he's like, yeah, this is like a distasteful group of people. I can, I can trick them into coming do, along and we can ax them all. Do, Cause doesn't at the end when they're, they're having the big ceremony where they're like, we are now announcing the the nine sacrifices. Um, doesn't they, don't they specifically say that Pele uh, brought yeah, them yeah. like yeah. brought the or provided the sacrifices from the outside? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're they're like you you brought the remaining sacrifices and the May Queen. Good job. And so yeah. for that, he gets a cool leaf hat. Um, <laughs> gets a new hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so I feel like that's. I think the implication is that they were they were always intended to be the sacrifices, okay. and then. Maybe, I don't know if Danny, like, he was just trying to work Danny so that she would at least become part of the cult. I assume he couldn't really have known that she would have won the May Queen ceremony unless that was all actually manipulation, too. But the reason I say that is because there's the scene where the, like, elders are telling, not the 72-year-olds, but the just general elders of the community, are um, telling Danny and... uh, Christian that uh, th- someone's stolen the book 
Mm-hmm. They don't know what happened to them. like we. They, they don't know where they went. They assume it has something to do with Josh and Mark. And Christian's immediately like, "Oh no, no, the you know we have nothing to do with him. I just want to make yeah. sure you know, like we don't associate with him at all." And I feel like the implication there is okay. They're they know, like they they're the ones who killed them. Yeah, they're not telling them, "Hey, we killed them in punishment for doing this." There, which I mean, I guess they could. They might be trying to hide that because they don't know how they would receive it, mm-hmm. and it probably would have been poorly received. But that really feels like they're trying to like manipulate them to feel like they need to continue to cooperate um th- there's just a lot of moments like that where it's very much the the cult manipulating them yeah that makes me think the idea was we're going to continue to keep and the fact that like simon when he tries to leave they're like oh yeah he already got on the truck right and so they're like manipulating um his uh, connie yes connie um so there's a lot of trying to play them against each other almost and uh, isolate them and tear them apart as like their individual groups. Um, So I really feel like the implication is just, they're trying to pick them off one by one. Um, And that was the plan from the beginning, except for maybe Danny because Bella likes her and is hoping she'll join. That definitely makes sense. And I, I I guess maybe a a more succinct way I could have phrased my, my, my pondering was when they bring outsiders to the village, is it, I am bringing sacrifices, or I am bringing people. They might be sacrifices. They might join our community. We're going sure. to kind of see what happens and kind of work our or, and see how we feel about them, and then make our decisions from there. Because Christian is certainly he is he does contribute to the community in that he sure supposedly impregnates Maya, but he is also like set up as a potential sacrifice, but since it's up to Danny, like if she had chosen the other guy, theoretically Christian would have just kept being part of the community. Yeah. Um, and so I, it, it, it's one of those things like the movie happened the way it happened, but it's, it, it made me wonder like how avoidable I think, I think regardless sure. they weren't leaving the community. Sure. You either right, yeah. you know, join or I, die situation. Well, I think I, a lot of it also hinges on the fact that, not only do they bring the the new folks in for sacrifices, they also bring them in so they can procreate. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so there's kind of two functions there. So yeah, I, I would lean more towards your your second read, where it's kind of just a wait and see. Like yeah. we can sacrifice well, them if need be. We also have everyone in the com- this community that's willing to sacrifice themselves if yeah. <laughs> our newbies well, are cool with with the, with the cult. The, the uh, also the ceremony at the end. Uh, I think they do say that they always sacrifice for outsiders and for locals. And then, like, the middle one is Um, the choice. Um, So maybe the implication is how many people were there? Six people. So maybe it's kind of like, okay, we're going to bring you in. Anytime you you, you step a toe out of line, we're going to cut, like, turn you into a sacrifice. Yeah. And then, like, we're going to continue to pick you off until we get down to, like, well, if you're still here... (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> you're one of us. Well, yeah, because originally Danny wasn't supposed to go. She was a late mm-hmm. addition to the trip. Yeah, True. and then Pella was very excited when she, yeah, when she was, which mm-hmm. may have just been because he was like, "Oh, Danny's cool. Like maybe she could be the May Queen, or maybe she could join the community." Um, yeah, it's a good question. <clears throat> so, I actually like that the movie's kind of vague about a lot of the details. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I like that it kind of holds back uh, it, some I, of the mystery. Like um, the deformed kid who's maybe 
right. the king or what's the, what's the official title? He's the oracle. The oracle, yeah. Um, which I don't know if we're supposed to assume by that that he has any sort of supernatural abilities. I would guess not. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. that. It's just that kid is such a striking image and yeah. it's... I feel like it could easily be cut from the movie, and I'm glad that it's not. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's something that... And I wonder how much more content with that character is in, like, the director's cut. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I... I think that... on the I, I, I li- Similar to what you were saying, where there's more mystery. In some movies, that's very frustrating, because you're like, why are you not explaining it? But in this movie, I think it works to create a sense of we are we are right we are as informed as our characters are right well and i i think going to kind of tyler's positive read on this movie versus hereditary i think that that helps in terms of like it, the focus is about a relationship between two characters it's very character driven mm-hmm. and particularly relationships are very messy and clean and the details often get lost in the background yeah um so i feel like thematically that that works really well where we don't really get everything with the cult Right, because we're focused on this relationship falling apart, and I, and I like how Hereditary makes such effective use of no, there are real demons. Like this is literal, but Midsommar, I personally think that n- there are no supernatural things at play in Midsommar. Right. Yeah, I, th- I would I agree. Think, I think it's all because all the moments that could be supernatural, someone's just been drugged. Someone's either taken mushrooms or been given some crazy tea or something. And then maybe this is just me, but I think that if the, the, the thought that all of this is happening essentially for no good reason, that like these people sacrifice doesn't change anything for this community. It doesn't actually help the community. I think is scarier. Um, Whether, whether the elders in the community know that, or not is kind of uncertain. You know, when they're uh, about to burn the, the temple down with the sacrifices, they give the two Ingmar and Ulf, the two members of the community who volunteered mm-hmm. these pills. They feel no fear, feel no pain. And then they both look at each other very scared and start screaming when they're. Once they actually catch yeah. I thought that was a very interesting detail of like, yes. Oh, are they, are people in the community, not true believers? Sure. Or are the higher ups not fully buying into to, to the, the the trick? Or yeah. is it well? And you can also take it as like, is everyone so bought in that they don't realize that like none of this? Yeah, it's all the, built right. on a a fragile house, a, a burning right. house, so to speak. But like a it, yellow house always in the background that Tyler would not forget about. Yes, um, <laughs> uh, which is one of the great another great thing about the cinematography is or mm-hmm. direction or i we say cinematography a lot we're not like professional filmmakers yeah, or anything we just use that as like a catch-all for a lot of things but the the shot selection in terms of the house always being in the background and then like you know we finally get to it at the very end of the film but it's always there waiting um yeah. <laughs> is excellent um but yeah i think the implication there at least to me was oh you know the elders they think that this stuff works but they never realize it doesn't because the people who take it die. <laughs> so yeah. like, the the people who take it are like, oh god, I'm I'm stuck here, and this is incredibly painful. Actually, it's not working at all. And I'm and just you have everybody horribly. outside screaming as some sort right. of expression of letting go of your sins or or whatever it mm-hmm. might be. 
Well, yeah, and I think that is all because you know, they talk about in the community you are held and that everyone holds each mm-hmm. other in the community. So it's like whenever somebody is feeling something, everybody else mimic, mimics it. So like during the sex ritual, the all the women standing around are also moaning along with Maya to share in that. And when Danny has her breakdown, the other women start screaming and crying, also breaking down. And yeah. so everyone starts burning to death. Everyone's screaming <laughs> as though they're burning to death. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's really effective, and I, I like the uh, the con- the theory that. Ingmar and Ulf, like, once they realize, oh, the thing I took to prevent me from feeling pain is not working. Oh, none of this is real. <laughs> and then it's like, ju- they realize that they're just, they've been killing people. Yeah, yeah. And, and are about to die for something that doesn't actually have the effect they think it does. Um, it's, well, I was yeah. going to ask, kind of going along with that, because kind of kind of the final shot of Danny who's just kind of been frowning for the last half hour and then she just breaks out into this just mm-hmm. super uh eerie grin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to get from that aside from she's obviously free from this very toxic relationship. Um is there supposed to be some sort of greater meaning that I'm I'm supposed to get from that? I think some... it's I mean I think it's that and I think it's that she now is she's in like she okay. she, ha- she has left the cold isolation of her former life I, to be embraced by this new community. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. Um, I have, I have some thoughts. Uh, th- this is where a lot of my stuff comes from in terms of like why I think this works more for me than hereditary. Um, I mentioned when we were talking about hereditary, that hereditary feels like uh, a very mean, cold hearted David Lynch movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if David Lynch was like, significantly more cynical than yeah. he may already be. Um, if, this... if David Lynch was working off a, a David Fincher script. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, this movie to me felt a lot more Lynchian overall, um, mm-hmm. despite having like less, you know, kind of weird, uh, maybe supernatural stuff that I guess. Look, that, Tyler, I guess we get really it. Only... You're just upset that the piano wire in Hereditary wasn't in the background of every scene. Sure. So that way we didn't have a proper buildup <laughs> for the payoff at the end. I get it. Accurate. I get it. Um, I was going to say, I guess, I guess Lynch is only, I haven't seen enough of his stuff. I, I need to see more. Um, I guess his only supernatural stuff is Twin Peaks and Dune. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was going to say, I, I think. Eraserhead? Yeah, Eraserhead definitely would qualify for that. Um, but despite the fact that this movie is very grounded and, and is all kind of like just human interaction, um, I think I got a lot more of that vibe from it because it's so fuzzy in terms of like, there's a million different ways you can interpret this. Um, and I think Ari Aster would probably tell you they're all valid. Um, I don't know how much, I mean, I just knowing how directors generally approach these sort of things and how they feel about their, their films. Um, I have not watched interviews with him or anything. So maybe, maybe he has a very definitive take on, (laughs) uh, on what the movie is supposed to mean. But, I feel like there's a lot of good symbols in this that you can connect. And the the big thing, the immediate thing I had or thought I had after watching the finale is tying it back to her um, sister. So we haven't really even talked about this at all. Her sister. The opening is is like one of the best openings. Yeah. Just horrifying. Um, Yeah. Her sister, I guess, Basically, the implication is that she turns on the car in the garage and 
basically suffocates herself and her parents and Danny's yeah. parents. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that we see, first of all, that all happens where like, that's the instigating incident for the movie is that um, her family is, is killed in these noxious fumes. Um, and one of the first things we see is a fireman come and turn off the, the car in that mm-hmm. scene. Um, and then, or a firefighter. Yeah. Fireman fire. They're the same thing. I don't know why. <laughs> anyway. Um, and then the end of the film we have this cathartic release of her boyfriend who's been there the entire time and has been kind of like dragging her down and making this more difficult. And he's in the beginning of the movie, she's having the conversation with him where he is um, telling her like, Oh, you know, your, your sister's just doing like doing what she yeah. always does. Like this isn't, it's not a big deal. It's not actually a real thing. Um, she's just continuing to kind of, you know, you don't trust your gut on this. Like it, it, you got to understand. It's just like, it always is. And she is, you know, ultimately kind of convinced like, okay, yeah, 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 you're right. You're always right. Yeah. You know, you're definitely, even though he's definitely not. Um, and so then looping that back around to like, oh, now she's created this, this fire and and consumed him in Mm -hmm. this and, and kind of burned away to, to me. I took it as her, like just completely setting everything on fire in terms of all that stuff she'd been holding on to. Um, and wrapping that same imagery around with her family and the fact that that's been like such a burden and, and such baggage holding her down. And so it's like, obviously this is not something we're supposed to feel a hundred percent good about. I mean, for one, yeah. she's, she's killing somebody, but two, um, or she's chosen someone to die, I guess. <clears throat> but two, like she's doing all this at the behest of a cult and she's now right. totally wrapped into this. And so I, I found that entire, like, I mean that last scene and, and what that implies for the entire movie and, and, the texture of the movie is so fascinating because it's like you've got all of that emotional stuff wound up and it's all set against the backdrop of her being slowly isolated into a cult, you know, where she can I like Alex, you were talking about with how we don't really see her talking with anybody else throughout the movie. Um, and so that wraps into like, she's been isolated from her family. Now she's isolated from her boyfriend's friends. And then finally her boyfriend and and that's how cults work. Like it's it, yeah. the the entire movie is showing you like this is how someone would get drawn into something this insane, right. um, and you know preying off of grief and like I, all that stuff really wound up to me. And I think again I don't have like a definitive take on this is what the movie is trying to say, but I think all of that really is really um, rich thematically just in terms of how it ties together the emotional stuff and the actual cult stuff, the physical stuff. Um, so that's, that's a big word dump, but that, that is the kind of feeling that David Lynch movies give me on, <laughs> um, or David Lynch productions, I guess. Um, and so that, that's more where I'm, I'm coming from with that is like, I don't know that the movie is supposed to have just like, here's what you should take away from it. But I think that there's a, lo- a ton of symbols and, and through lines that work together really well. Um, and that's the, the emotional payoff I got from uh from watching it which is why it worked better for me than hereditary i definitely agree with that read i mean i think that the movie does such a good job of showing that like danny is in a weird way like she so much of her suffering is at the hands of other people be it her sister or Mm -hmm. her boyfriend and then she comes into and again like yeah it's she is made to feel like now she's free of all these things, but it's because she has now entered a controlling environment right. where a cult says this is what you can and can't do. And 
creates this, but but she is misled into that, which kind of shows her the fact that she has stuck with. And I'm not not blaming Danny, but she has already shown a tendency to go along with emotionally manipulative people, and so it's easier for her to fall into mm. a cult. But also, she is like, I don't have anything at home. I have nothing back there. Yeah. Like, so why would I go back? <laughs> like, um, yeah. They have a bear here. Like, why am I not gonna <laughs> just hang out? Um, I also find this this movie is funnier than Hereditary. Like, there are jokes in yeah. it. There's the great joke about the children are watching Austin Powers in the South House if you'd like to join, <laughs> which is crazy. But also, <laughs> one of my favorite lines is, so are we just going to ignore the bear? It's a bear. And then they just keep walking and there's a bear in a cage. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Um, Tyler, for this being your first time watching it, one, Alex, the first time you saw it, did y'all note the tapestry at the beginning and then... Did it did it occur to you that you were just seeing that tapestry play out throughout the movie, or did you or, or did you like me forget that the tapestry was at the beginning of the movie? Um, I had heard about the tapestry at the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, before I saw it, and I was like, "Oh, it's all right." So the movie's roughly going to play out like that. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, a a bit difficult to decipher when you haven't actually seen the movie play out. Sure, sure, sure. Um, you just kind of see so I, I think work it works well enough, even if you know. what that is supposed to represent Mm -hmm. um but yeah i i kind of knew about that going in you're talking about like before like at the very very beginning the 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 opening i had forgotten that existed until you just mentioned it to me (laughs) something that i i this time around when when i saw it i went okay let me really try to make sense of this and what events am i seeing and it still doesn't tell you literally everything Mm -hmm. it more just depicts like here's a guy who looks like pella and here are people that look kind of like Danny and Christian, and then here's a bunch of bad stuff. So you can kind of see, like, okay, Pella's masterminding this whole this whole thing. Sure. Which, look, I, I don't know any Swedish people, but I know a lot of long-haired, thinly bearded men who make unbroken <laughs> eye contact with you while they're being all sensitive. <laughs> it's very clear Pella's the bad guy. <laughs> I'm well, just saying there's a lot in my I, hometown. I will say uh, it's very, like... Initially, he starts talking to, to Danny, and you're like, okay. Yeah, he's the nice uh, person in the movie. Well, but I, I think the my immediate vibe is, oh, he's he's trying to steal her away from oh, gotcha. um, Christian. Right. You know, he's being sleazy. Uh, yeah. He just wants her instead. Like, he's trying to manipul- emotionally manipulate her away from him. Mm-hmm. So it, I think it does a good job of, of hiding his real motives to be like, Oh, he just wants to uh, to date Danny instead. He wants to, you know, uh, steal her yeah. um, from from his friend, and that's pretty that's pretty skeezy. Is that a word? It's a word yeah. now. Shakespeare made up words all the time. I think that sticks with it, or sticks yeah. with him long enough that you know you don't. It, it hides the fact that oh, he's actually trying to kill all these people, <laughs> um, right. and until deep into the movie, I think I think you yeah. don't. Uh, pick up on that necessarily until uh, really until you realize that he is definitely involved with all the um disappearances and everything like that right yeah i think that uh yeah i think you're right i think the movie does such a good job at like 
showing a dysfunctional relationship because like and again not putting anything on danny but like she's constantly apologizing mm-hmm. when it's not when she didn't do anything wrong and well and and the whole reason like, she's doing that is because christian is yeah immediately reacting to anything she does by kind of like shutting down and being like well you know uh, you see, why aren't you just i said i'm sorry what do you you know what's i don't get it what you seem mad yeah. what's going on like he, and he's kind of being very <clears throat> cagey and and not yeah being emotionally open and, and trying to use tactics to uh, shut her down uh, when she has very yeah. valid points. <laughs> These were like so convincing and, and yeah. both of their performances felt very real to me. Like mm-hmm. I feel like I've met people like yeah. them yes. and the way they behave. Yeah. And I love how Christian, he's a terrible person. He's yeah. a terrible person. <laughs> and, and like he gets at the end and you're like, I feel like I should feel bad for all the stuff that's happening to him. But at the same time, he's a terrible <laughs> person. Um, yeah. But I, I like how Jack Rayner is able to play him so realistically. It's not mm-hmm. like I'm going, oh, he's like a cartoon villain. Right. Right. You know, it's like, oh, that's just a real guy. And he just happens to be a prick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it does in the, cause the very beginning of the movie you just get the sense that like okay he this relationship isn't really working out but he's having a hard time breaking up with her right yeah you know that's he should he should do it but like i get it. does this make him a bad person it's a hard thing to do and then she her uh, danny goes through this horrible tragedy so you're like well i definitely get not breaking up with her when that happens but then when you start seeing like how how bad he is at being in a relationship that he forgets her birthday and just gives her some bad pound cake as, mm-hmm. as an apology. Yeah. He d- can't remember I, how long they've been together. Um, but then you also see like the only time he is able to like really put his foot down and be declarative and say, Hey, this is where I stand is when he is taking William Jackson Harper's thesis idea and then when he is insisting, he is just betraying them all. I mean, like, we don't associate with them. I have nothing to do with yeah, them. Right. I didn't, oh, I don't even know. I, I feel like you're you're not harping enough on the point that when he decides to steal Josh's thesis, this is right after they see the old folks kill themselves. Yes. Yeah. This is like, right after. <laughs> Danny is the Josh only is one who has, like, a correct emotional response. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, aside cause... from uh, the uh, the couple yeah. that that's trying yes. to get yeah, out of scream. dodge, <laughs> but Danny's just in like she's shell shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jack is like, well, oh, I, I like wrote a paper about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually like or in the Christian. scene where the old folks are killing. You know, they they jump off the cliff, and and Burton, we can we can jump back to your point. I, uh, sorry, I'm yeah. interrupting, but I, I like how the first time like the audio plays out like fairly normally, and then it mm-hmm. kind of like drowns out. And then the second time when the old guy jumps off, like, yeah, there's no sound. Like, right. and it's like Danny's almost like zoned out and mm-hmm. she yeah. can't even focus on it. I, I think right. the sound design in that scene was very, very well done. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I think that it, it's the kind of it, Christian is the kind of realistic bad person that makes you go, have I done that? Yeah. Am I the, when have I been close to that and how can I not ever yeah. do that ever? Well, and, and even, especially mm. like the, uh, I think one thing we didn't mention is him saying, uh, springing on her the fact that he's like, oh yeah, you know, we were kind of thinking about going to, um, going oh, to Sweden. Yeah. We were going on a trip. 
uh, and and that he's like, well, you know, we just we just decided today it wasn't, you know, it's not a bit like that's so like human, but also yeah. so well, also so awful. the way uh, he plays it, he's like he's he's not man enough to be like, okay, here's this thing, it just popped up, let me explain it to you. He's just yeah. like. Oh yeah, we're we're uh we're going to Sweden. Did I not tell you that? I yeah. guess I didn't tell you. Yeah. Like he's so yeah. sleazy about it. How he handles basically all of his interpersonal relationships. Yeah. And then he he tells his friends. He's uh he says, oh well, you know, I told her that she could come, but she's not going to come. It's fine. Yeah. Just just pretend that she, you know she's coming and like and she's on the plane. <laughs> yeah. 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 It it's a it does a nice job of not giving you a ton of time, but just enough room to be like. Maybe he's just, like, a dumb grad student. Like, mm-hmm, maybe right. that's the extent of this guy. He's not malicious. He's just, like, he just needs to grow up some more. But then pretty soon you're like, oh, no, you're just, like, you're just a coward. <laughs> like, you have yeah. no... And Because it also gives you the thing of, like, he isn't putting his foot down about this thing. That is hard to do. So we can all have sympathy with someone who's, like... I need to break up with her, but this is a hard thing to do. And she's going through this terrible time. Mm-hmm. How should I be handling this? I'm like, that's a very human problem. And I, I have empathy for that. And then later you're like, dude, just tell her you were going to just, why, why didn't you just tell her? And then well, this also is so handleable. Like 10 minutes into them getting into the community, he's, he's eyeing the redhead that he ultimately mm-hmm. uh, yeah. has sex with. And then yeah. I, I didn't notice this when I watched it the first time. I, I assumed it was just like, oh, he's just being sleazy, whatever. I didn't realize that was the same girl. And, right. like, that's consistent yeah. <laughs> throughout the movie. That's a through line. <laughs> and it, and the movie does a nice job of balancing the, okay, he wasn't completely, like, brainwashed into doing this. They And, and I think that also helps Danny because Danny notices that he's eyeing her and that he's, you know – it's not like, oh, this woman's, this, like, person's interested in him, and he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And is, like, clearly ignoring it, and then paying attention to Danny. I think that would have changed things a bit. Mm-hmm. But he's like, I don't know, she's over there, blah, blah. But, um, he, I just realized he kind of looks like Pilu Asbeck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, just popped into my head. <laughs> um, I'm the man who killed that bear. <laughs> yeah. He, or what? Where was I with this? Oh, that that Danny now has reason to believe that he has not been brainwashed. It's not like he's been this prince of a boyfriend, totally faithful, not looking at other women, really being attentive and supportive of her. And then she sees this thing happening where he's having sex with someone else, and she's like, "This is so out of character. I'm in this weird place. <laughs> I randomly spoke Swedish earlier." <laughs> maybe okay maybe there's something amiss like let me get to the bottom of of how this happened i mean she would still be in shock but it might be the rationale would come back to say maybe there's something else going on but because he's been so clearly so terrible and so lazily bad as well that she's like oh no he would just cheat on me (laughs) like this is totally what he would do and i'm shocked and horribly upset but also like i fully believe that he would do that yeah. Also, can I just say I think uh, Jack Rayner, his everything he does in the like last twenty or thirty minutes is 
like I was laughing at his expressions because of how absurd the situations yeah. he was in were and how perfectly mm-hmm. he plays just being like what is this <laughs> where why who am the, the I whole, the whole scene where after they they've drugged him and he just wanders over to the like the dinner table and he's just like leaning leaning to his side looking at Danny just like I don't know what's happening right now. And he does that for like a solid 10 minutes. There's a guy beside him who claps right by his yeah, ear. Yeah. And it does. Uh, sir, it can you it tell through. me what's going on? And the guy just claps. And, and he gets really upset. He's like, why would you do that? Like, it, it, the, it, it represents it with like ripples going yeah. through yeah. His, his vision. It's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the first thing I want to uh, two things. The first is apparently so the scene where Jack Rayner is running around naked and he finds Simon having been blood eagled mm-hmm. and everything. I believe I read that he wasn't originally scripted to be naked, but Jack Rayner said, "Hey, in a lot of horror movies like Last House on the Left and stuff, women are assaulted and stripped naked and humiliated before they're killed. Well, I think we should flip the script on that. I think hmm. I should be like if I don't think he like wrote." I don't think he said, hey, I, there should be a crazy sex scene. But I think it was like, if if we're always making women run around naked or almost naked and humiliated before they're killed, like, it's I, I, that should happen to, to huh. Christian because this is the kind of, like, his character is so much less likable than 90% of the women who are killed in horror movies. Mm-hmm. Right. And I thought that was really cool of him to be like, hey, like, this should this should work. And I think it totally does work. Yeah, it's really effective. Uh, uh, and yeah. I, I would assume it was like, oh, hey, he's already naked for this scene. Right, exactly. I it's, better it's be. Jermaine. And I think that works really well for him. Like, just because, again, talking about how you can, like, empathize with him while also being like, this guy is genuinely horrible. Um, yeah. You know, you the embarrassment, he plays the embarrassment of, like, walking up to, to a, a building or something and being like, oh, God, there's people there. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm completely naked. What am I doing? Um, and also I'm, like, super high on drugs and, and yeah. losing my mind. Um, he plays that so well, yeah. uh, and I, I, it gives you that secondhand uh, kind of cringe and embarrassment of, like, oh, oh, geez, oh, geez, buddy, you're really, right. <laughs> you've, you've probably deserved all of this, but man, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do acknowledge. Yeah, the other thing I want to point out is I think the visual effects in this movie are so good. Hmm? They're largely pretty subtle. There's not like huge digital whatever but all of the scenes where someone's on drugs like you mentioned when the guy claps and everything swirls looks fantastic um the scene where uh they're having like the drug trip and uh mark keeps going like i can't do new people right now man <laughs> everyone lay down everyone just all lie right. down i need to lie down everyone just lie down right look, now look look i'm not gonna say that if i were on that same drug that that would be my exact same reaction but that would totally be my reaction <laughs> oh, guys i'm gonna see- lay down britain Britain, can you lay down? Can you can you put your head down, please? I can't Alex, do new people you, uh, right now. <laughs> you seem to know a lot about how you would react on that drug. All right, Look. good him, boys. We got him. Sting operation. <laughs> the podcast was all a hoax. And then someone kicks in your door, and it's the drug police. You're going to the pokey, dude. They kicked in the door of my crocodile sub? How rude. Yeah. Yep. Underwater SWAT team, go. Is that the most... <laughs> long-running unexplained like impossible <laughs> to understand joke for anybody who's watching or who's listening to the podcast for the first time probably it, we're not uh, gonna explain it i just wanted to no yeah it could be taft but i think this <laughs> might be more well. off reference than taft at this point um but uh follow the money uh, <laughs> 
Um, Alex, in the last podcast, you said Dexter, maybe, and I think that should be the companion series to Trinity, definitely, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that it is about a monkey. Um, yeah. But I, I think the you also have these great shots of Danny, like, seeing flowers grow out of her hand mm-hmm. and, like, her feet turning into vines and... Which obviously is she's getting drawn more and more into the community until she's literally covered in flowers, which right. is kind of funny that they're like, you're the May Queen. Here's a garden on top of you. <laughs> Here's a Michael's display window. Um, <laughs> but there's one point where she's sitting on this like throne and the, the ivy is like the vines are moving and everything on the arm of the, the chair, which is digital. Like, I, I like these subtler but really effective digital effects i think they all look really really good yeah and um all of those as well as the scene when she's dancing and they do an overlay of like 40 different shots all together um (laughs) it's all kind of like imposing on itself and um yeah you're kind of watching every shot like looking for something horrible to pop up every time that Mm -hmm. it like introduces a new shot to the layer um and all of that uh, again it's very lynchian i feel like uh, in terms of the having kind of like weird or subtle effects as opposed to you know your traditional big cgi monster or what have you um yeah it's super effective um yeah and i i really love the fact that uh, like in the scenes where she's, I think there's one where she's standing around the maypole or whatever, and uh, her feet start going into vines. It's you have to, your eyes don't know what they're seeing for a second. They have right. to kind of like process and be like, "What is, what's happening here?" And it, and it takes a second to understand. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that happens a few times where they do some of the the drug effects. Yeah, um, it's really really well done. Yeah, it's um, and I love how Aster, similar to Hereditary, he puts so many like little things in the background. Like next to Danny's parents' bed is a picture of her with flowers around it. Hmm. Um, and apparently in one of the shots where like she's been crowned the May Queen and they're like parading her around the commune, th- there's like the shape of her sister's face with the the exhaust tube coming out of her mouth, like in the trees. Oh wow! So they'll just like lay these little things uh, everywhere, like like how uh, Astra would hide the little cult symbols throughout Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Um, man, he's I'm so excited for whatever his third movie is, whenever that happens. Yeah, um, I noticed some of the more obvious stuff. Like I think there's a couple of times when she sees like her family members just kind of like yeah. wandering through, like d- just the the throng of uh, cult members. Yeah. Um, but I didn't notice any of the, the, the subtler stuff in the background like that. I had to look – because I had read in the IMDb trivia about the face in the tree. So I had to, like, Google an image of that to see that yeah. happen. The the flower picture I noticed during the beginning of the of the movie. Because since I'd already seen it, I was like, okay, what am I – what is in every other – it's like watching Hereditary. And I'm like, okay, who's in the corner of the ceiling? I know someone's <laughs> there. Who is it? Gabriel Byrne, are you also a demon spider thing? <laughs> I will say, I feel like Hereditary scares me. I feel like Midsommar unsettles me. I don't yep. know that I consider Midsommar scary. But it's very disturbing. It's very unsettling. It's very disquieting. But I don't right. find it like, huh, <laughs> you know. Um, but I love it. I think it's so good. <laughs> I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I feel the same. Yep. And, um, yeah, I just think it's marvelous. I... I I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's other like major points I need to make about it. 
Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's really, really good. Do you guys have anything else big? I feel like there's more to talk about, but I just can't. I can't like land on it. Uh, I, I don't really have anything else. I think uh, we covered all the the, the main beats. I, I would I'm, be curious about watching the director's cut. Um, yeah, just to see what's what's in there because that that could also change my perspective on some things. But I, I did I did just look up the sister's face in the trees, and that is very creepy. It so. is good on you, Harry Aster. All right, you done. Well, you done a spook. Up. <laughs> um, um, man, had something, then it left. <laughs> Tears and that how it goes. <laughs> Ain't yep, that, that just is the a, way? That is a freaky image. Yep. I'm yeah. surprised I did not see that the first time. Yeah. So everyone out there, just do a quick Google search of Midsummer face in trees. Yeah. Or. Midsommar, Sister in Trees. That was the popular Google search that popped up when I started typing it in. (laughs) Now, are you sure it didn't say Midsommar Feet? (laughs) Midsommar Husband, Midsommar Net Worth. Midsommar's uh, near you. (laughs) Um, Did you watch No Time to Die with an older Midsommar? Look. (laughs) Look. Ari Aster's James Bond. There you go. There you go. Um, no, I don't know if there's any other big points. I feel like we've... I mean, there's just so many great details in the filmmaking. Yeah. Um, that, like, I, I feel like we could... If we watch it again <laughs> and, like, went back through... Especially, I think, the director's cut is... I don't know that we'll ever do an, an episode on that. But maybe at some point if we... If one of us watches it, we can discuss it. When um, we run out of franchises, like a, I was going to say oh, as like a will. recommendation segment, more so oh, than sure. a, a full podcast. But um, like, for, I was just thinking of, um, I think there's there's a bit where they're on the plane and the plane starts shaking, uh, mm-hmm. and then we just cut and we're yeah. on ground. Um, and also on the plane, the way we get onto the plane is it transitions from. Um, Danny getting really upset because Pele brings up her dead family. She go, she yeah. runs to go to the bathroom. She opens the door. We do this crazy shot where she like it like flips up over the door frame. Door frame. Um, she closes the door and then suddenly she's in the airplane bathroom. Yeah. Um, and it's just, like there's there's all sorts of crazy little creative things like that. Um, yeah, I I think I had talked about on the last or on the hereditary episode how. Um, I really wanted a, I really felt like I needed a primer, sure. uh, Ari Aster movie because yeah. I just was not getting hereditary. Um, and I think this was more what I, like, this is what I was looking for as, as far yeah. as like a, this is an introduction to a lot of the stuff he seems to be interested in. I'm, I'm definitely, um, curious and hyped to see what he does next, whether that yeah. be, you know, a, a Star Wars movie maybe, or, <laughs> It's um, all about a bunch of Jawas who form a cult, or or the crimes of Grindelwald Four. Or... <laughs> yeah, or they'll they'll give him a they'll give him a season of uh, the the Amazon Lord of the Rings show or something. <laughs> I don't know. That would be terrifying. <laughs> oh could, man! Give him an episode. I mean, you know, can you imagine the... him directing a scene with all those crazy spiders? That's exactly where my brain went. Yeah, is, is um, Oh my god, that'd, that'd be, be so stuff. good. Shelob has like a monologue about her brother. 
You know, I, I want I want one of these directors to come out and be like, I, I my preferred movie is just like this. It's a sequel to a franchise that nobody wants to see more of, and, and like it's just something that that died long ago. And they're like, I feel like bringing it back. Like I want I want them to ask Ari Aster, what what film series would you want to do if you got the offer? And he's like, Kick Ass Three. I think I can do it. <laughs> or he's is like, it, you know what? Is it just really because? Wanna... <laughs> is it just because you can call it Kick Aster? Oh, <laughs> is that it? That's <laughs> and he's like, yes, yes it is. It sure is. And then I'll be making Little Miss Sunshine 2. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, I think he could do a good Mighty Ducks 4. And on that note, I'm giving Midsommar an A. <laughs> Ari the quack, quack, quack becomes like a cult chant. Ari, Ari Aster to, to, uh, to direct the live-action adaptation of The Crew. Uh, i i would assume he is never going to touch any sort of blockbuster thing but i feel like it would be very fun if he did Um, yeah and probably only with like a franchise that is completely just like we don't we're not going to do... Yeah, sure, you can take that. We were going to sell it at the garage sale. Look, I don't... Like... <laughs> here, here's the two directions I see. Either you give Zack Snyder Alien versus Predator and you let it be mm-hmm. this huge action extravaganza, or you let Ari Aster do an Alien movie that's just like a really messed up, sure. almost bottle horror film. Sure. Or Pitch Perfect 4. Or Pitch Perfect 4. Which would also be a bottle horror <laughs> film. <laughs> With the Alien. It's literally, it's pitch perfect, but there's a xenomorph. Well, because that's great, because the xenomorph can harmonize with the little mouth. The xenomorph's a double threat. It can sing and dance. That's true. It really can. Oh, my goodness. And it's got a tail. And it has a tail. That is. I do not need to know That's the problem with Broadway these days. No tails. I do not need to know what kind of design effect Ari Aster would do with the alien. I don't need to see that. I don't I need that see image that. when I'm I lying see in that. my bed at night trying to sleep. Um, <laughs> I'm giving Midsommar an A+. Uh, I talked myself into it. I actually was, was sitting probably closer to an A. Um, but the more we talk about it, the more I, I really think I appreciate it. I think uh, it's a very cohesive film, and I, I like a lot of the... The stuff. I think it's a it's a thing he did well, as did uh, all the people yeah. involved in the film. Yeah, I'm also doing a plus. It it was on my top ten from last year, and I would keep it there. It's a movie that I I don't think it's fun, literally, but I do kind of have fun with it. You know, there's just a, a level of crazy. I think that's kind of part of the point of the movie. Like, Hereditary is a very serious movie, I think. And Midsommar is, too, but I think Midsommar also has a bit of, like, we are going to put an Austin Powers joke in this movie. <laughs> like, come on. Um, yeah, I just think it's it's so good. And I, I put it in the other night thinking, hey, I'll watch about half of it, and it's a long movie. I'll finish it tomorrow. But I watched it all in one sitting, so mm-hmm. I think that that really says it. Apparently, Ari Aster... Is it Ari or Ari? Did we... I've been saying Ari, but I really don't know. Do you know? Ari, um, Aria Aster, uh, Ari is apparently he's directing a movie um, 
called Bo is Afraid. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what that's about, but apparently, <laughs> and I don't know how much of this is is him messing with interviews or what. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, his next movie is supposed to be a four-hour nightmare comedy. <laughs> is, is how he's <laughs> described it. <laughs> Which I'm here for. I'm I'm ready for that. I, I can do it. As, I do think it. maybe give me give me a year to prepare. I assume sure. it's not going to come out till maybe 2022. So you know that that's enough time. Um, yeah. Oh so, yeah. man, <laughs> I, I'd watch that. I'd buy that for a dollar. Um, Apparently, uh, speaking of uh, Joker, Joaquin Phoenix is in talks to join. Whoa. So there is that. <laughs> Harry that Aster, would be interesting. Ari Aster Joker movie confirmed. Um, <laughs> uh, that would be really interesting to see the two of them work together on something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's the one time he does like a rom com, just like a super light, no scares, just <laughs> fluff piece. Um, <clears throat> so I I had a couple of movies that I was thinking about recommending, but I'm gonna go with this one because. It's a more serious one, and the next franchise we're doing is very positive, and I want to I want to keep it positive. Then I want to we've, we've been talking about dour stuff, so let me get my my serious thing out. Um, but this also a movie that I heartily recommend. It is called The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Hmm. This is Aaron Sorkin's newest movie. Uh, it's a Netflix uh, exclusive, which is the cool mm-hmm. way I say exclusive. Mm-hmm. And it I think, is. I think we can shorten that to Scluse. I think that's that's. The, <laughs> it's a real Netflix Scluse. Netflix Scluse from a Sork. A Flix Scluse, if you will, <laughs> from old Radio Sork. I'm not and... a part of this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can't watch four seasons of the newsroom and then bow out of an Aaron Sorkin talk. <laughs> <laughs> I can when you're calling him a Sork. <laughs> um, an a Sork Flix Scluse. <laughs> it's a dramatization of the a, a trial of the of seven men, really eight, who were uh, plot twist charged with inciting riots during protests outside the Democratic National Convention. I want to say in the late '60s in Chicago, mm-hmm. and it is a dramatization. And the thing about this movie is, you kind of look at it in the political side and the movie side. It's a very very timely movie. Uh, the thing I will say is that this movie was in development for a long time. They filmed it and they released it. I, I, I liken it to the Watchmen miniseries where its relevance to the current state of America is more reflective. Its timeliness is, says more about the world than it does about the, the movie. Sure. It's like, okay, yeah, like you just made the thing. Um, and that made it sort of extra potent for me. And I, it does take some poetic license, not so much that it lies to you about the truth, but in the way that Steve Jobs and Social Network kind of went, mm-hmm. eh, we can streamline this, we'll kind of composite these characters to make it like a movie. Right. Um, Same with uh, Moneyball. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the, the one thing I would say about that is I don't want people to take that as a reason to dismiss the movie or to not learn about this event. I didn't know hardly anything about this this event before I watched the movie, and it's a really important part of American history that I think you know. However, you feel about various things, it's important to learn about it because you know it's a it's it's American history. It's important to learn about it, no matter how you feel. And um, but as a movie, it is so well done. Uh, Sorkin, obviously, is a very gifted writer. The dialogue is spectacular. 
it's very entertaining, way more than... Like, I was hesitant to watch it because I thought, do I really want to watch a two-plus-hour courtroom drama? It's just going to be the slog of information. But it's very quick. It's very snappy. It's really funny in parts, mm-hmm. and it's just really engaging. And I actually love a good courtroom drama. Um, a bad courtroom drama can be kind of slow, but a, a good one... Sure. You know, Judgment at Nuremberg, or or I recently watched My Cousin Vinny, which I actually found pretty fun. Or Five um, Seasons of Boston Legal. Or Five Seasons of Boston Legal. <laughs> fly by. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and, uh, I've, it I've watched shock, it all through multiple times. It will shock no one who has heard this podcast to hear me say, I'm an Allie McBeal guy. But uh, <laughs> this, the, the cast of this movie is totally stacked. Uh, mm-hmm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Frank Langella, Mark Rylance, Eddie Redmayne, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, John Doman, Jeremy Strong, Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, Alex Sharp, Michael Keaton shows up for a mm. couple scenes. Like, it is crazy, the, the people in this movie. And everybody's great. Sure. <laughs> Everyone in the movie is really good. My standouts were Mark Rylance, uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, and Eddie Redmayne. And Eddie Redmayne can be kind of hit or miss for me. Mm-hmm. I thought he was really good in this. He really... Uh, uh, showed up and uh but really the whole thing is just so fascinating and so engaging and and like i said really surprisingly funny uh it's a movie i really really liked 2020 is a weird year to be thinking about your like my my top 10 since all the releases are kind of screwy Mm -hmm. and what's going digital and what's being pushed back but uh, what do you think still like right what 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 really counts is is this a tv movie or a movie movie like how what is what (laughs) But, Spielberg's uh, losing his mind right now. A year ago, he was like, Netflix movies can't be nominated for anything. Now he, he must be just TV like completely losing it. Welcome to the Netflix Oscars. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I do know a, a great movie when I see one, and I think this is a pretty, pretty great time. So, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, I have been watching more Hell's Kitchen. There you go. <laughs> uh, good show. Is this uh, also very important part of American history? Sure. <laughs> very important is, part. Is, is this is this um, like alternating with viewings of the way back, or <laughs> <laughs> how many episodes are you knocking out between? Look, Tyler. Just because you're watching the way back every day doesn't mean everyone else on the planet is. I'm not saying everybody. But else to on answer the your question, is. I watch. I watch The Way Back every morning before I work, okay? <laughs> it, it, it inspires me. It's the energy flowing. Before you go to work, which is uh, eight hours of analyzing The Way Back. Uh, right. I, <laughs> I just picture you sitting on your couch in the dark, like eating popcorn, watching Hell's Kitchen going, in a way, these chefs have to find their own way back. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a timely movie, you know? It, it all connects galaxy brain meme <laughs> um my uh, i actually finally have a movie recommendation for the first time in in quite a while um it is a movie that Britton you actually mentioned uh last week mm. um because we were talking about rami malik up and coming yep. um we, i watched with a friend of the podcast alex prime uh short term 12 uh by daniel Dest. Destin, De- Daniel Destin Cretton. I got it. I think, right? it's, I think it's Destin Daniel. I think it's Destin Daniel Cretton. Destin Daniel Cretton. There, you so. know, I'll take it. 
Those it's three a, names. Put, put a comma in there, you know, somewhere like right. it's a database. <laughs> or, anyway, um, no, he. Uh, I, I was intrigued by this for a while because uh, I actually really like Lakeith Stanfield. Um, yeah. I think he is spectacular and and like always steals the show for me. And well, mm-hmm. probably doesn't quite steal the show in Knives Out, but that's because sure Daniel Craig is doing a foghorn. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, yeah, um, but still great in that. Uh, and also, uh, Mr. Cretton is doing uh, an MCU. Uh, in, mm-hmm. in the future, when we do have movies again, uh, he will be doing them. <laughs> uh, or when we do have theater movies, uh, he will be uh, doing Shang-Chi. And so I was intrigued by that. And I thought it was fantastic. I yeah. just, like, the the cast, it's Lakeith Stanfield, um, Caitlin Deaver, of course, Deaver, yeah. Deaver. Uh, and uh, Brie Larson. Um, who's the other? There's at least one more person that. Uh, I mean, Rami and. Oh, uh, yeah, Rami. Uh, the, the, the... Uh, well, Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah she's the, in there. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, and uh, definitely think. I mean, Brie Larson, I, it's, it's so fascinating to watch her in movies like this or movies like Room um, because she's so good and yeah. like i don't dislike her as captain marvel um no. but i almost feel like the role doesn't have enough nuance for her <laughs> like i think it's, yeah. it's almost too much of like a, a oh this is you know it, it's like what if we had uh a, a superhero but it was a girl um <laughs> and i'm not i mean i i'm really glad that they are finally making movies about female superheroes instead of just being like what yeah. if we did batman again i'm, I'm glad right. the mcu is seems to be really expanding in that regard uh in terms of like the diversity of, of roles they're casting for but i don't know what you could have cast her for instead uh if if you were trying to get her in an mcu uh but I, she's just so like there's so much more depth to some of these roles where she's, she's playing a very human character um and she's again I don't think she's bad as Captain Marvel. Uh, I know there's no, some no, no. confusion about like the production and like, it, it seems like maybe she didn't know exactly what she was doing for some of it. Um, extremely excited to see her directed by Anita Costa. I think maybe she'll yeah. inject some of that back in Captain Marvel too. Anyway, not talking about the MCU talking about short term 12. Um, and the movie it's, it's not a movie to watch if you have um, any sort of sensitivity or, or uh, concerns about watching things with, uh, heavy themes of like sexual abuse, emotional abuse. Um, yeah. Self-harm. Uh, self, yeah. Self-harm. Uh, but if, if that's something that you can, uh, you can handle, it is so like touching and not, not really feel good. Um, but no, like no. empowering, like it, it, it will make you feel more empathetic, uh, yeah. for your, your fellow man. The, the plot of the movie is, uh, it's, Rami Malek and Brie Larson, or Rami Malek is at his first kind of week on the job um, with Brie Larson and um, oh John Gallagher Jr. That's John Gallagher guy. Jr. That's yeah I, I could yeah. not remember his name. Um, yeah, he and Brie, Brie Larson are, are a couple. Yes, yeah. yes, he plays Brie Larson's uh, boyfriend, and um, they are working at a short-term like foster care center where uh, they're a lot of the kids end up staying for a longer lot longer than they're supposed to. Um, and so that's where uh, Lakeith Stanfield come in. That's where uh, Caitlin Deaver comes in. And just, like, amazing performances across the board from everybody. Really sweet moments, really, uh, you know, like, powerful, touching, hard moments to watch. 
Um, uh, the the movie was written and directed by Cretton, uh, and I don't think he's fully like he's just like written his own film since then, which I think is kind of a shame. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched any of his other his other directorial stuff um, that he's done since then, but um, I'd love to see him do something else that is like entirely his brainchild because uh, yeah. from what I'm as far as I'm aware, this is like his best received uh, mm-hmm. film. Um, and I'd love to see him do more stuff like this because like, I just ate it up. Like it, it, I think it is a movie that will make you be like, right. Humanity, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it, it well, centers you a little bit. And I think you're right. Like it definitely be aware of like, it's some very sensitive issues, but the movie handles it not in a really graphic way. No, it's not, not at all. It, it's very like loving with mm-hmm. how it deals with those things. And it's not. Even if you do have a sensitivity to it, like, I, the movie d- doesn't, like, force you to stare at, like, horrible images or no, anything. And it's, and it's not bleak. It's not, it doesn't, it's very um, hopeful, I think. Yes. And it's, it's all about the impact of these things, yeah. rather than necessarily showing you yeah, any not, of these things. Um, yeah. And I just, just to echo, cannot praise Lakeith Stanfield enough in that movie. I think he is just marvelous. Brie, Brie Larson's tremendous in this, and it, it's very similar to her performance in Room, which is not a bad thing. She's great mm-hmm. in Room. And uh, uh, I, I think it's, it's a similar style of a movie, and she's drawing on some similar ideas. Right. But uh, she definitely had. Yeah. I was going to okay. say, she definitely feels younger in this. Like, I mean, sure. I think. Sure. When did Room come out? Um, I mean, just a couple of years later, like Short right. Term Twelve was one of. I mean, she she was a child actress, uh, but like I think this was when people started to go, yes. "Oh, he, let's keep an eye on on this yeah, yeah. rising star, and, Brie Larson." And I think she plays them both quite differently, even though even if yeah. the characters aren't super similar or are pretty similar, um, she plays them very very differently. Room is also yeah. a movie you should watch if you if you want a great movie. You know, a little, yeah, a little backdoor recommendation there. Yeah. Um, again. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Hard movie to watch, and and, but. and I love Caitlin Deaver just in general. And but yeah, mm-hmm. Lakeith Luke, Stanfield totally steals that movie for me. I think it's just like it's just amazing. I think yeah. he's so good in that. Um, man, good movies, tough movies. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, before we go, uh, we are starting a new franchise next week. Do we want to keep that a surprise? I think we can we can jump into it. I think we can we sure. can give a little, uh, little teaser because uh, we are doing the Muppets. Uh, that's right. I think we're all pretty excited about it. We'll be yes. something that's a little more like sort of just upbeat and wholesome than I think we've done in a while. Um, yeah, <laughs> and like genuinely fun. Uh, not no no shade on Night at the Museum, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, um, no, very different type of. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Uh, so we are going back uh, to the. W- when's the first? The first one. Ooh, seventy something. Because it uh, might be seventy-seven. Okay. Because okay. we're doing all the uh, like theatrical ones. So, the theatrically uh, released. It'll be a big roster, um, and yeah. we're gonna have some fun with it. Yeah, I am a huge, huge, huge Muppet head from all uh, from the way back, from way back in my life. Oh. Uh, Similar to Tyler had Fire Cannot Kill a Dragon and was the Keeper of the Lore as we stomped through uh, Game of Thrones. I have a biography of Jim Henson and will be the same for at least the first three of these movies. Right. Um, that, in his this, this makes a lot of sense to me. You know, 
Britain had had his Jim Henson biography. Tyler had uh, Fire Cannot Kill a Dragon. I had my uh, my, my James Bond <laughs> monster of a book, some kind of hero. Right. This makes sense. Yeah. And the I'm pretty three... sure Joseph has has all the uh, Joseph has all the versions of that like just friends. No, no strings attached. He has like the uh, omnibus of all of those and studies them. <laughs> the the three uh, sequentiality stones, so to speak. <laughs> exactly. That we can put in the movie gauntlet. In the movie gauntlet. <laughs> movie gauntlet. Our new production studio. Uh, but yeah, we're doing Muppets. Going to be tons of fun. A lot of a lot of. I have a dream too. It's about doing a podcast. And singing and dancing, but you can't see the dancing on the podcast. <laughs> no, uh, I'm really excited about all that. I hope you guys have a safe and happy Thanksgiving out there. Um, if you know, if you're going to be around people, be safe. If you're not going to be around people, be safe. Counters have sharp corners. Come on, guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, slip on enjoy tiles. Well, well, keep keep the violence in the entertainment that you will watch for Correct. us. That's a really good way to put it, actually. I like that. <laughs> and by that I mean oh, watch something ultra-violent that seemingly has some tangential ties to Thanksgiving somehow, kind of. Not really. Right. Also, contribute to my uh, Kickstarter for Kick-Ass 3, Kick-Aster. <laughs> <laughs> the subtitle We're, makes the it kick better. Okay, Kickstarter. You've, you've improved upon We're bringing it back! <laughs> <laughs> We'll get Aaron Taylor Johnson and Chloe Grace Moretz on it. It'll be great. <laughs> we'll take it to Matthew Vaughn's office. He can't refuse. Or reboot with Alex Wolf and Florence Pugh. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So Alex mean, Wolf would actually be really good as. Does that mean Hit Girl would be like a full adult now? Yeah. I mean, she would be if she were played by Chloe Moretz. That's true. I suppose that's true. But but it wouldn't be a People... reboot. People mm-hmm. people forget that, but actors do age. Uh, yeah, I don't believe you. Crazy. Well, unless you're Julie Louis Dreyfus. <laughs> I thought I thought they were all made in a factory, and that, that they just come out that way and they don't change. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, they were made in a bubble and they stay. Unless there. you're right. uh, Robert Downey Jr., in which case you were made uh, in a cave with a box of scraps. That's true. Um, <laughs> Tyler, where can they find us? You can find us online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HCTSequels. You can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. Um, we're also on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, The Moon. We're on The Moon. Is, is, yep. that, is that accurate? Can, can, is, can is someone actually find us on The Moon? Is someone going to prove us wrong? I is mean, someone going to yeah, prove, really. prove me wrong that we're on The Moon? <laughs> Who, who is? NASA? <laughs> I don't think so. Yep, we're just a bunch of Ryan Goslings walking around up there. <laughs> I've been Britain. I've, I've been, been Alex. Tyler. Oh, oh, so. oh, well, oh, oh, well, we screwed oh, it up. No. End oh, it. End it like no. that. <laughs> and you're having a happy Thanksgiving. Now the bear skin's going on me. 